Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Qu'ils sont beaux les pieds. Hi, Johnny. How are uh, you? Ah, I'm very well, my love. Hello, everyone. Okay, so I guess we're back again to The Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton. Yeah, we seem to be <laughs> falling back into this. Yeah. And and I think it's a good thing to be into, actually. Yeah, I can't say I'm sorry. Yeah. I have, right today, I was actually reading chapter four of part, part two. Part two. Mm-hmm. And I am so excited about that chapter. So that's sort of a prelude where yeah, we're I don't know beyond if, ourselves here. But I was going to say, I don't know if we'll ever get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this week we'd like to start chapter two, as I said, and it's called, are you ready for this? Professors and prehistoric men, and I add, what's the difference? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that that's just a shot at you because you're a professor. <laughs> that's actually pretty good because the professors that he talks about here, yeah. he is really in the process of criticizing and saying these people are not understanding themselves. Yeah. I mean, really a lot of the point of this chapter mm-hmm. is that these people have violated the fundamental Western Socratic view Yeah, that we should be aware of what we don't know. Right, right. And not try to claim much more than we do know. Mm-hmm. And that's fundamental to what goes on in this chapter. So they become the prehistoric men that they imagine prehistoric men to be. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, so let's get right into it. First of all, if you'd like to listen to the previous sporadic episodes that we've done on the introduction and chapter one of Chesterton's book, the links should be in the description. Okay, so Chesterton opens chapter two with the idea that the student of origins can only make one mistake and stick to it. What do you think of that, John? Right. So the claim here mm-hmm. is that the professors of... Would you say the higher criticism? The professors of higher criticism? I mean, the higher critics certainly would fall into the same category. Uh-huh. But, he's but what would you say? here, I think, about the biological notion of evolution and the idea that if we look at the evidence that's given to us, we can build these elaborate theories about them that really might try to explain the evidence that we have, Uh but that goes so far beyond it that they are essentially ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And I think he goes on to say, what he goes on to say hits on what you were trying to make the point about in your recent higher criticism series with regards to the Mount Ebal cursed tablet discovery. Here, let me yes. let me let me read this. It says, sometimes a professor with his bone becomes almost as dangerous as a dog with his bone, <laughs> <laughs> and the dog at least does not deduce a theory from it, right. proving that mankind is going to the dogs or that it came from them. Right. And whenever we want to think about the biological theory of evolution, and it's probably worth saying at this point that neither C.S. Lewis nor G.K. Chesterton took a position, really, on the biological theory of evolution. Although I think Chesterton was probably a little bit skeptical, and Lewis as well was willing to entertain the possibility that this was simply wrong. But that it might be right, and that it doesn't matter either way. 
for their belief in God, because what they were concerned with was something more fundamental than that. And I'm not sure where I was going with that. Well, I said about the dog with his bones, how they're so dogmatic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's true. Yeah. There is a certain dogmatism mm -hmm. to the theory of evolution that is not warranted by the facts that were given. Right. And he even goes on to give examples of this dogmatism. He says, the really arresting and remarkable fact is the comparative absence of any such remains recording that connection at that point. The sincerity of Darwin really admitted this, and that is how we came to use such a term as the missing link. And this is the point right here. But the dogmatism of Darwinians has been too strong for the agnosticism of Darwin, and men have insensibly fallen into turning this entirely negative term into a positive image. Yeah, I was going to say what you were saying in the Mount of All critics who want to criticize the finding. They're so dogmatic that there is no way that this finding. Right, because their theory has mm -hmm. become in their minds something that is simply true, mm -hmm. that is fact. And they're not willing to recognize that they are ignorant about right. the truth of the reality that lies beyond it. And this is fundamental to everything that happens in this chapter with G.K. Chesterton. Yeah, He is a Socratic mind. Mm -hmm. He recognizes that the human beings, and in particular, the academics who approach the evidence that we are given mm -hmm. in the real world, think that their theories are as true as the facts. When in fact, the facts can be presented in a thousand different right, theories right. Yeah, he, yeah. that explain them. And this is really fundamentally, as you just said, the point that I was trying to make in the Mounted Ball series, right. the JEDP series, that we can think about these things in so many different ways mm -hmm. that... But... Go ahead. That, yeah, I was going to say that, but they are so dogmatic, there's only one way to right. think of Right, they it. think of it in only one way. Right. And, and this is the point makes, that he makes with the dog. It's like they hold on to their bone like a dog does. Right. 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 This is the only way to look at it. Right. And then, like he says here, but the dogmatism of Darwinians has been too strong for the agnosticism of Darwin. Right. right. So even Darwin would have acknowledged <laughs> there are different ways to look at this. Mm -hmm. Right. But these theorists are not willing to do that. Right, right. Okay, so Chesterton moves on from origins to start his history account with the fact that human civilization is older than human records. And as for this prehistory, he says, and I'm going to read a long part here. If you want to jump in, that's totally fine. He says, in short, the prehistoric period need not mean the primitive period in the sense of the barbaric or bestial period. It does not mean the time before civilization or the time before arts and crafts. It simply means the time before any connected narratives that we can read. Mm -hmm. This does not indeed make all the practical difference between the remembrance and forgetfulness but it is perfectly possible that there were all sorts of forgotten forms of civilization as well as all sorts of forgotten forms of barbarism. Right. And in any case, everything indicated that many of these forgotten or half-forgotten social stages were much more civilized and much less barbaric 
than is vulgarly imagined today. And then, of course, unfortunately, doubt and caution are the last things commonly encouraged. Yes. I have encountered this yeah. with the critics that we've come across oh, yeah. in the Christian atheists, that they say that I am being insufficiently <laughs> skeptical. Right. When in reality, I am being skeptical of the given position right. that has been presented to us in this cultural milieu mm-hmm. that we're not supposed to ever be able to question. Right. <laughs> and all I'm saying is, wait a second, what we think we know, we don't know. Right. That's it what you've been saying. It is merely a speculation, right. merely a story that we've told ourselves. And some of these stories are really compelling and we might be willing to entertain them. I am. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're true. Right. And you've been saying that since the beginning. Since the very beginning of the Christian atheist. And I don't care which one is true. I mean, I really do, because God made it one way. And there is an answer to this question, which is the right answer. Right. And which that answer is, I'm not sure. But here's what the problem is. Chesterton says, it is necessary to say plainly that all this ignorance is simply covered by impudence. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. And then he They assert it as though it's true and there's no getting around it. This is what the critics of the Mount of Ball thing did and why I was so offended by Mm -hmm. it because they assumed Mm -hmm. that their view was the only view. And if you dared dissent from it, you were an idiot. Right. And he gives an example. Chesterton gives an example. The other day, a scientific summary of the state of a prehistoric tribe began confidently with the words, they wore no clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Not one reader in a hundred probably stopped to ask himself how we should come to know whether clothes had once been worn. Said the answer. By people of whom everything has perished except a few chips of bone and stone. (laughs) Right. And so science has declared the answer. And we are idiots if we dare dissent from that view. And this is such the case of all of this modern view of things. They refuse to recognize, as Socrates would say, how incredibly ignorant we are. We really are. That Mm -hmm. there is one view that we present, and we think science has endorsed that view, and therefore there is no other possible way of looking at it. And that's just false. Right, right. And then Chesterton goes on to say, and if the professors of the future are anything like the professors of the present, they will be able to deduce a vast number of very vivid and interesting things from cave writings of the 20th century. <laughs> if, yeah, I know, if I know anything about the breed, and if they have not fallen away from the full-blooded confidence of their fathers, they will be able to discover the most, this is funny, this is fun. the most fascinating facts about us from the initials left in the magic grotto by 
Aryan Ariat, <laughs> possibly in the form of two intertwined A's. And this, John, I want to say this reminded me of my daughter number one when she was young. <laughs> I would assign her writing projects. I won't give the name. Yeah, I can't say her name. <laughs> I would I would assign her writing projects, and she struggled so badly with the introduction sentence. She could never come up with an introduction sentence. At the start of every paragraph, she would place a capital I, period, capital S, period. And then she would go on and write the rest of the paragraph. <laughs> and of course, the glaring problem for you and I, of course, is that how do you write a paragraph without an introductory sentence, <laughs> right? Telling what the paragraph is about. But yes. okay, we're going to leave that aside. I would always joke with the kids about the goofy things they would do. And what happens if that goofy thing in a thousand years was the only evidence left behind to understand our culture. And in the case of her, I period S period, <laughs> at the beginning of every paragraph, I joked that Later experts will come up with an entire religion, a system of government, and a philosophy of our culture based on her papers. Yes. It was funny to think about in regards of a lot of goofy things the kids did. Mm -hmm. But maybe it isn't a joke. How much of what we confidently exactly know today right. is actually based on goofy things that our, th those right. kids did back in the day? Right. The evidence that we have is inevitably... Yeah. Partial evidence. And to conclude anything about the universal structure of things at that time on the basis of, the, of that small partial evidence mm -hmm. is interesting, possible, yeah. Yeah. but not definitive. Right. And yet we want to take it as definitive. Right. Right. It's right. what the scientists right. constantly do. Right. Take it as definitive. Yeah. And it is so partial. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And I appreciate what Chesterton says here about all these expert explanations on history. He says, for the plain truth is that all this is a trick of making things seem distant and dehumanized mm -hmm. merely by pretending not to understand things that we do understand. Yes. And then a few sentences later, he says, it pretends to find something incomprehensible in the feelings that we all comprehend that I'm sorry, I want to giggle at this point. Yeah. <laughs> because it's true. Yeah. yeah, it's true. Who does not find dreams mysterious and feel that they lie in the dark borderland of being? Who does not feel the death and resurrection of the growing things of the earth as something near to the secret of the universe? Yes. Who does not understand that there must always be the savor of something sacred about authority and the solidarity that is the soul of the tribe? If there be any anthropologist who really finds these things remote and impossible to realize, we can say nothing of that scientific gentleman except that he has not got so large and enlightened a mind as a primitive man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's really fascinating mm -hmm. because it it's like the primitive man is us. This individual that is supposedly at the basis of modern man, right, that yeah. we have grown from, yeah, is actually no different from yeah. us. Exactly. And that the scientific critics is thinking that they are so remote from us, mm -hmm. when in fact they are simply exactly us. Right. And like they said, it's a trick of making things seem distant and dehumanized. Right. 
and pretending that we, we don't, don't understand. Yes. <laughs> and it's and, and I love his example here. Yeah. And in the same way, while it is true that a dog has dreams, while most other quadrupeds do not seem even to have that, we have waited a long time for the dog to develop his dreams into an elaborate system of religious ceremonial. Yes. We have waited so long that we have really ceased to expect it. Mm-hmm. And we no more look to see a dog apply his dreams to ecclesiastical construction than to see him examine his dreams by the rules of psychoanalysis. Right. <laughs> and this picks up on the point from the first chapter yeah, that there yeah. is something fundamentally different about humanity from the rest of the natural yeah. world. And of course, the whole book was an answer to H.G. Wells's History of the World. Yep. So Chesterton's conclusion is this, touching this matter of the origin of religion, the truth is that those who are thus trying to explain it are trying to explain it away. Yes. And that's constantly what they want to do. Mm-hmm. They want to explain it away. They don't right. want to deal with the reality of the situation. They want to explain it away because it doesn't fit their view mm-hmm. of the world. And that's what you found in the Mount of Ball exactly. curse tablet. It fits yeah. it exactly. Mm-hmm. They don't want to face reality. And so they want to explain reality away yeah. to make it fit their own preconceived notion of right. the world. But in reality, knowing these other things kind of is exciting, taking you down new roads. Well, yeah, in today's world, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, let's look at something in a new way. Yeah. And what does that mean? It means we step away from the conventional view right. and say, wait a second, let's open our minds. Mm-hmm. Let's be open-minded, Yeah. right? And this is what they're constantly proclaiming that they're they all are. about, open-mindedness, <laughs> when they are, in fact, the most closed-minded of people on the planet. Right. And what we're suggesting is open your mind mm-hmm. and let's think that maybe there might be a different way to view these things. Right, right. And, and so, that's what Chesterton is really yeah, was advising to say, We're going to probably talk about chapter three next week, but he goes into that mm-hmm. exact thing that we just can't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, chapter three and chapter two pretty much sums up that we can't know. Yes. It's the very Socratic point and I that guess, we have been making throughout the Christian atheist yeah. that we don't know that we can surmise, mm-hmm. we can think about, we can come up with stories, mm-hmm. but we better damn well recognize that we don't know. Right. right. And I guess in contrast to H.G. Wells's which which this is why he wrote this right. the everlasting man where i guess i mean i haven't read hg wells's book but it seems like he must have been very dogmatic yeah. right <laughs> he must have felt like he knew right. i mean right, if you right. read everlasting man it seems like that's what he's yeah it's what he's reacting against yeah, yeah exactly right this idea that they have history sewn up right in their view And God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, 
and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Yeah, I have always mm-hmm. loved that verse. Yeah. Because it tells us that we don't have it sewn up. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the fundamental points that we've been stressing at the Christian Atheist from the very beginning, that we human beings must recognize that we are not God. Right. And that only God has it sewn up. Yeah, and why can't we just enjoy not having it sewn up? I don't know. I mean, (laughs) you're exactly right. That's the adventure. Mm-hmm. The recognition that we don't have it sewn up right. and that we can continue to and to find out discover and discover that reality and the mystery. Yeah, the mystery, the ongoing mystery. Mm-hmm. And if there's nothing else that G.K. Chesterton is, mm-hmm. he is the man who asserts the mystery of God. Right, exactly. And I love that, I think, above all else in G.K. Chesterton. Mm-hmm. That he asserts the mystery of God and that that is the ongoing fascination, the ongoing drive Mm -hmm. that we human beings have to search out and understand reality itself, which is God. Right, exactly. Okay, so I guess that sums up chapter two. Basically, Chesterton tells us we don't know. Yes. And we need to be humble enough to- To face our own ignorance. Right, to realize that we don't know. Right. And stop the silliness of thinking that we have, in looking at the scarce evidence of the past, Mm -hmm. been able to put together a comprehensive history of the prehistory of man. Because we don't know. And in fact, the reality is that- when we encounter the history of man, we encounter man. Right, right. There is no encounter with human beings that are not human beings. Yeah, yeah. That's what the history that we find reveals to us. Right. And, then, and so that's the best we can do. And then we come to Proverbs 1-7 where God says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Yeah. And that really is for us. And you know know what he says next? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Yes, that's right. And they refuse to recognize that there is something greater than themselves that can actually instruct them in terms of the reality of the world. And if you abandon that, you have abandoned rationality itself. Right. Right, right, right. And we have nothing left. Right. And this is the point I came to when I finally turned my life back over to God again. Right. It's like, if I want rationality, if I want science, if I want all of the values of humanity that human history reveals to us, Mm -hmm. the one choice I have is to accept God Mm -hmm. and in accepting God, Accept Christ. Right. (laughs) As what G.K. Chesterton calls in a later chapter in this book, in part two, Mm -hmm. the key to everything that unlocks the reality of the world. Right. And in my own life, Jesus Christ 
is the only answer, the only key that mm-hmm. truly unlocks it. That's right. And that gives me everything that I value. Right. There's nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So is there anything else you want to say, John? Oh, had I <laughs> spent more time revealing this, there's probably like 3,000 okay, hours there is a lot of stuff worth of in, discussion in on this topic. Yeah. But I think we have generally covered mm-hmm. the most important points here. Yeah, and so if you want to read or listen to Chesterton's The Everlasting Man and get the thousand <laughs> <laughs> the the deeper the yeah. deeper and deeper and deeper the layers. This um, this is a point though. Yeah. I mean it's been fascinating to me over the past couple of weeks because I have listened again and again yeah, and again to have. my reading. Mm-hmm. My own re- <laughs> my own reading yeah, yeah. of G. K. Chesterton. And I have found that more this man more. has layer after layer after layer of understanding that yeah. when you listen to him over and over and over again, you will understand more and more and more. Right. And it really is worth investing the time in listening to him repeatedly right, right. because he understands things at a level that most of us miss. Yeah, that's very true. So, if you would like to read or listen to to Chesterton's The Everlasting Man, the links will be in the description. You actually read with our commentary on our Simple Gifts podcast, The Everlasting Man. You can hear the entire thing on YouTube, parts of it on on our podcasting apps. Um, And then also there is the link to the actual, what is it, Project Gutenberg Oh yes, where you can yeah read you it. can read mm-hmm. Chesterton for yourself for free. on the Gutenberg for free. Not yeah. just Gutenberg, but Gutenberg is one good place to go for sure. Yeah, yeah. But if you if you if you're driving to work or you're walking your dog and you want to hear John read it, it's on Simple Gifts, and we'll have the we'll have the link there. If you're listening through YouTube, though, we would really appreciate if you subscribe. And if you're interested in knowing more about the Christian atheist. Be sure to check out the link to John's book in the description through The Looking Glass, The Imploding of an Atheist Professor's Worldview. That's book number one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. book number two is coming. We should have a, um, what is that called when when there's a a premiere? That's what it's called. A premiere. Yeah, we should have a premiere. A book premiere. (laughs) What could be better than the premiere of Paradise Lost? All about everything you ever wanted to know about evil. (laughs) Everything you never wanted to know about evil. (laughs) I can't help but think that we will be canceled permanently forever (laughs) by the leftist media when they find out what we have to say about Paradise Lost, right? We are done. We will (laughs) never be allowed to be heard on YouTube or any podcasting platform again because we've dared to actually say (laughs) what God has taught. That's funny. That's a very good trailer, John. (laughs) A very good reveal. (laughs) Okay. So that should be coming out extremely soon. And I personally think it's a very good book as a Bible study in your church or your Bible study group discussing evil. And 
a little bit about marriage too. <laughs> yeah, that's my resist. favorite point. Yeah, for sure. you couldn't resist that. I okay, so well, a, that's the antidote. It uh-huh. really is. It really I, is. I mean, I seriously believe that mm-hmm. because God has made Christian marriage the fundamental structure on mm-hmm. which everything in the church age is based. Right. Not just the church age, before that as well, right. but explicitly. Well, like you in the said, yeah, age. because it all began with. Marriage, right? And then Adam went, and Eve, and then it went into sin, right? That's when you know after we Eve can was, choose one or the tempted, other, and then yeah, right? We can choose to be properly mm-hmm. le- related with one another. But, that is, but the what I'm saying relation. is, those are the two things. It was <clears throat> the marriage relationship, yep, and then sin entered, yes, and so those are the two things that you juxtapose yep. in your book, yep, and if we choose. To go God's way, we are properly relating with mm-hmm. one another. Right. And that is what marriage is all about. Right. And it is the fundamental structure on which all human relation is based. Right, right, right. Okay. So, and as always, if you have the means, why not buy us a cup of coffee? There's a link to that in the description. And thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. We appreciate you very much. And we hope you have a great week. And we'll talk to you next week. And I love you, my dear. And I love you, Johnny. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.